0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Good morning, good morning, El Paso Bawa Church. It is good to be here today and good to see you guys. Uh, It's sure better in here than out there, I'll tell you that. That, uh, what is it, like almost 40-degree difference it feels like. I want to welcome you to El Paso Bawa Church. And and, uh, if you guys are new here, uh, thank you for coming and and joining us for worship. just want to read a couple of the announcements on our bulletin. Uh, the, the, The big one is our church, monthly church lunch coming next Sunday. Yeah, July 16th, right after our worship service, and we'll be having that in our new building next to us. Um, And other than that, uh, I think most of our, uh, let's see, women's Bible studies are still on break, and uh, I guess the only two ministries or departments that are meeting are the young adults and and youth group. And um, so young adults meet Saturdays at 6 p.m. here at the church, and uh, youth group is still meeting Sundays at 6 uh, today, I'm reading out of uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 34, uh, verses 11 through 14. I feel like I'm missing something in the bulletin, but I think I covered it all, so. All right, Psalm 34, uh, verse 11 through 14. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is a man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That was through 14, right? I wasn't tracking. All right. Shall we pray? And then we'll have a time of worship. Uh, Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and and thank you for the opportunity to come together as your body, as a church, and worship you. And uh, just have... This Sunday of communion, where we remember your sacrifice and, and your promise to us that you'll be back. So, as you bless our time together as we worship, as we pray, and as we are encouraged by the teaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you now stand with us?
2: All knowing he counts not this time Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore You like Oh my God so good never give up, never give up on me. The- Never let me down, he's faithful. In-
3: Good morning. Uh, children, you guys remember that we just have Adventurers today, so if you're in the older class, uh, you're in big church today, so I think that's third grade and up, third to fifth, I think. Montgomery, I'm not sure what you are. You're, you're tall enough to go in either class, uh, but we have Adventurers today, uh, so you guys, if you're going to Adventurers, go to Adventurers. All right, that's been our, our uh, custom on communion sundays uh, for the older kids to stay in here um, it's not what everybody does but that doesn't bother us so it works out okay um, anyway well good morning to you. i hope that you are surviving that heat pretty well uh, it's pretty excessive even for el paso in the years that we've lived here have we we are about record breaking right 24 days of triple digit that june lied to us didn't it June when it was ninety two degrees on June eleventh or whatever it was, and then bam, right in the face, I knew that was going to happen. I knew it, but here we are in the air conditioning, enjoying the blessings that the Lord has provided for us uh, but we 're going to be here in first Peter this morning, uh, and by the way, if this is your first time visiting, I am the normal guy i 'm pastor josh josh meyer i 've been here uh, thirteen years total and uh, They keep allowing me to come back. They haven't changed the locks yet. Um, So as abnormal as I may seem, I am the guy. I'm the normal guy. So welcome. We're happy to have you. Uh, And we hope that you enjoy your time in God's Word today um, and are challenged by it as well. Those two things not being mutually exclusive, right? Challenged and joyful. And uh, so we're going to spend some time in prayer here before we get started this morning. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the many blessings, uh, what the, the old guys used to call the manifold blessings that you have provided for us, and we thank you for them. We acknowledge them, and we know that the good things that we have come from you, because everything good comes from you. And uh, Father, we pray uh, for those in our body that are, are suffering, who uh, are suffering physical illnesses who have suffered losses recently, Father, particularly for comfort this morning, particularly from your Word applied by your Spirit. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to participate in that process that you have ordained and you have designed. Uh, And Father, we thank you for this time in your Word. We pray that you would bless it to your glory in us today. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right. You guys are like reverse Baptists. They're front row Baptists, right here. All right, yeah, I can't guarantee you're not in the splash zone, Gabriel. Anyway, we're here in 1 Peter, and we ought to review, because we're getting further down into 1 Peter, uh, into the chapters that we, um, about halfway, I'd say we're a little about halfway through in 1 Peter, and so we do need to review what we started with, because those things are important as we go through, the way epistles are set up, they have their purpose, they have their outline, kind of in the beginning. Um, and so that kind of defines how we're, how we're proceeding. Now, remember that we, we are addressed here, the churches that Peter was writing to are addressed as those who are choice aliens, those who have a particular purpose for being on this earth. You ever wonder about that? Why am I here? Yes? man. I know you wonder about that sometimes. Even though you're sitting with your purposes right there in the pew, sometimes you're like, I'm not cut out for this, right? I don't have what that takes, right? No? Man, you guys are leaving me hanging this morning. All right, it's okay. Men especially have this here. What am I here for? Well, the first thing you need to know is that you have a purpose. You're here for it. Otherwise, God would have you go to be with him. That's the the simple rubric that we're dealing with here. We are choice. We have a purpose to fulfill in the days of our lives that are given to us today, and we should long for more of them. That's coming up in a little bit. Uh, But we have a purpose, and in that purpose, we we need to understand it is defined by our dual identity, that we are aliens. In other words, the church is an entity that lives among the nations. It does not comprise a nation, okay? That's why we don't have... A code of laws that are law that we live by. We have we walk by the Spirit so that we do not pursue or fulfill the desires of the flesh. We do not have law because we're not a nation. A nation needs laws. Um, and we are living in dispersion. The local churches of the world are not, you know, they're not synthesized into a nation. Uh, we don't live here. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our identity is defined by Christ, and so we have this identity, right, a dual identity with a purpose, and it comes with blessings, eternal blessings, an imperishable inheritance because we are born again into our identity as Christ simply by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. Many blessings, and we spent much time earlier in this series on that. It's all recorded, I think. We're getting better about getting the whole series recorded in these years past here. You can review all of those. But we are looking forward to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is already ready. It's already ready. So it used to be a bigger deal on Sunday. Everybody went home to a crock pot roast. Yeah? Didn't I did? Because we we were hardcore when I was a kid. We didn't even go out to eat because We, you know, we didn't want to be patronizing those restaurants owned by those sinners working on Sunday. If that's you, I'd advise you to maybe modify your theology of eating out. Um, But that's what we did. And the reason we did it was because then the pot rose is ready, right? Until the electricity went out or something. You blew a breaker. But that was the idea. Now... You roll the dice every Sunday, don't you? When you go out to eat, don't you? You roll the dice. You can go to a place that you've got great service a hundred times. And then you're sitting there for two and a half hours. This has happened to us recently, a couple times. It's literally the same scenario. It's not ready. You don't have to worry about that with your inheritance. God has it reserved ready for you, already ready. He's just waiting for you to come get it, to be ready for it yourself. And that's the way he is operating as we are living as choice aliens in the world. So it has blessings, it has opportunities that we get to serve in new and distinct ways to embrace the, the, the purpose that he has for us that is unique, actually individually, I think. We have, yes, a unified purpose together as a whole, and we'll talk a little bit about that in harmony with each other. But each of us has a, a role to play and to investigate. And then we have obligations. Everybody groans. Obligations, right? Loving obligations. Obligations that are consistent with and not exclusive of love. So we talked at length about that, right? We, we have an obligation to love one another from the heart. That has a definition. That does, it's not satisfied by smiling and shaking a hand every time somebody comes into the church, right? Love is seeking the best interest of another person, laying down your own personal interests and taking theirs up as a priority. That's the biblical definition of it. We are obligated to do that within the body of Christ, especially within the local body that we are part of. Uh, we're obligated to long for the Word, like babies long for their pure milk. Um, we're obligated to modify our desires, in other words. Right? Right? The world tells you that you just need to be your true self and embrace all of your desires no matter how base or how common. But Scripture says that you're supposed to modify your desires to align with these, to fulfill your obligations of love. And then kind of the longest section is that we're to keep our behavior excellent. And when Scripture tells you to, to do what is right, to keep your behavior excellent, um, That's real. That's a real command. You're really supposed to do it. We always need to clarify, right? And that is that God does not place those demands on people who are not his children. God does not place demands for excellent behavior on people who are not his children. And so when we're reading this, we need to understand that we're in the family. You are not on a team. You know the difference? They can trade you from a team, and they'll do it a lickety split if you don't perform well enough. I don't like using the word team to describe the local body for that reason. What happens if your son is alienated from you? I'll tell you, in case you're wondering, if you've never had it happen or you've never been the son that was alienated, you have an alienated son. He doesn't change to somebody else's son. He doesn't, he's connected forever. If he dies and they check his dental records for DNA, it's going to come back as being your kid. No exceptions. But legitimately, this is, this, these are commands given to believers. People who are in possession of eternal life from whom it cannot be taken, from which they cannot be separated. The love of Christ for them ensures that. So we do. We want to keep our behavior excellent. And man, it is hard. I chew on these words every time i got to spit them out. But you do. You're supposed to obey the government. Doing what is right. You could go back and read. Or not read, but listen. Probably there's software that would allow you to read that sermon too. But you could listen to it and understand my explanation. Right? That there are limitations on both sides of that command. But you are supposed to obey the laws in the land in which you live supposed to obey within the authority structure of economics, right? He said slaves obey masters, and we said, well, that doesn't mean that everybody has to have slaves in their culture in order to fulfill a biblical mandate, but you do have to submit to the structure of authority within your economic structure. Uh, And then this is the one that gets everybody mad within marriage, wives. Wives? Don't make me say it. I've already said it enough. Wives, obey your husbands. All right. Thank you. I probably said that a thousand times. All right. Wives, obey your husbands. I've got my flak jacket on today. Forgot at the time I actually preached the message. And uh, husbands, in First Peter, with a full grasp of the role that God has given you within marriage, you need to mentally grasp what God has placed you in your marriage to do. That's what it says here. In Ephesians 5, it says some other things about laying down your life sacrificially. That's all part of the package. But listen, Peter wants you to comprehend exactly how significant your role is given the limitation that God has just placed on wives in the marriage. That was the, that's the main idea here in First Peter. If we were doing a topical study on marriage, which is probably never going to happen because that's not how I roll, we would have to go all over the place. Anyway, and following Christ's example, we're to voluntarily suffer for doing what is good. Those are obligations, loving obligations, things that we are obligated to do. And then verse 8 is where we are today in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. So you want to open your text, however you do that this morning. And look, and I'm reading from the NASB, and I occasionally have things. I think it doesn't do great, but it's pretty good. It says, to sum up, that word is finally. Um, this is like the preacher's finally, right? And in closing. Because there's two and a half chapters left, right? right? Chapter, yeah, four, five, or and a half of three. Um, he's summing up the keep your behavior excellent part, right? So I think that's accurate. To sum up, to sum up, this is what excellent behavior is going to look like in the big picture. A summary of what it looks like to do what is right in your temporal lives and your days on the earth. Um, so far, right, the structures have been explicit. They're the ones that cause the most friction. Marriage is friction, Right? See, if you have, if you ever come and you want to get married uh, at El Paso Bible Church, and you want me to do the ceremony, we'll talk about this. Because everybody, when I tell them why do you want to get married, they all my, believers, unbel- whatever, they say, but we just so compatible. Why do you want to get married? Well, I just found this person; it just completes me. No, you didn't. No, you did not. You are incompatible. There are no two human beings on the face of this planet that are compatible with each other, and you need to get that through your school right now today if you're planning on getting married. This is work, and it is difficult work, period, no exceptions, and you might be able to comprehend that, right, because premarital counseling, by the time you come to my office for premarital counseling, it's too late. You got your, your romantic goggles on and your romantic hearing aids on, and all you hear is, Sweetness. Um, It takes some work, right? There's no, you are incompatible with everybody in this room. Just by nature. Two sinners are incompatible with everybody else. They have that ingrained narcissism, if you will, as part of the fall. So that's friction. Some people have more friction in their job, some people have more friction in obeying the government. Sorry. But those are structures that and do it. But in general, right, this is the summary. The summary is how all your relationships ought to look like. All of them. Um, so this isn't a specific relationship. This is how the local body is to look. It's for everybody. It's for Kaylee. It's for Gabriel. It's for Isaac. Even the, the young guys. It's for Brantley. Everybody. Within the local body as believers. And uh, he says this to sum up finally. All of you be harmonious, is the translation. The uh, word means to, essentially to think similarly. In English, it looks like the, the prefix is hom, homo. Oh, we got enough teenage boys in here, that's going to cause some giggles. Homo, that means same. Hamoi means like. It's actually homoi. And Phronis of similar mind. Sometimes it does say same mind, but here similar mind. The idea of being harmonious, being harmonious with one another, um, and that's the nature of harmony, isn't it? Are people singing harmony, singing the same notes? No. That otherwise they're singing the melody, right? I mean, I'm not a musician. But that's right, right? Uh, Jacob and I had, he actually was a deacon here at El Paso Bible Church a number of years ago uh, and grew up in the Church of Christ, and uh, they sing beautifully. He had a liability, though he couldn't sing melody, could he, Jacob? His brain just made him sing harmony all the time with everybody who was singing, all the time. Uh, And it was a good harmony, but if if you really needed him to sing melody, it was like you couldn't do it. Um, but that's the nature of harmony, isn't it? Harmony is not to sing uh, as an illustration, right? Uh, not to sing the same notes, but to sing notes that are pleasing together to achieve an objective, right? To sing a chord. You can know when people don't understand this principle because there's lots of uh, i like uh, you know, like wind chimes? I like wind chimes. I bought a couple here recently. My grandmother loved wind chime. My grandma Meyer, who was, my grandpa Meyer was the beekeeper and I was just like to sit on their very humble backyard porch, back porch and listen to the wind chimes. My grandfather one time made a wind chime because he was a crafty guy. He liked to do craft. But he was not a musician. He did not get the chord right. You realize that wind chimes only sound nice because they're striking a chord like you would play on a guitar. It was awful. We got to fix that thing, Grandpa. That thing doesn't sound good. It, that sound is not pleasing. That sound doesn't work together. What that means, uh, the way I tell you, and that's illustration, the illustration may be imperfect. That is that we, we are not within our context as choice aliens with a purpose that we each individually have on this earth. We don't always have to have the same opinions or say the same thing think the same thing or look the same way. But we are commanded to live in harmony. And uh, the first pastor that I worked with in the first ministry position that I ever had a long... It's going to be a long time ago now. A long time ago. He was also... He sang. His whole family sang, musicians. And uh, they asked me to fill in some special. And I don't read music. All I have is my ears. And uh, he said to me, Josh, everybody has a great voice. Everybody has a great voice, but not everybody hears very well. Everybody has, and that's true, isn't it? You know, beautiful voices. Sometimes you just are tone deaf. I know people like that that just flat can't hear well. Uh, I know other people that don't think they need to. I I know other people that think that you have to listen to them, right? All sorts of reasons why you might not harmonize well when you're trying to sing. But understand, that's my understanding of who you are in Christ. Everybody has a beautiful voice, but not everybody listens well. Not everybody listens well. And if you want to be in harmony with other people... There are certain people that you're going to have to listen to, and there are other people you're going to have to not listen to, right? In any choir, any church choir especially, right, there are people you're going to have to listen to, and people you're going to have to not listen to. You want to listen to the people who are committed to singing in harmony. You want to not listen to the people who are committed to disharmony, to live in harmony with each other. Um, In any group, you will have to decide. So, live in harmony with each other. Be sympathetic. It's a list of things, and we are obligated to kind of talk about what each one of them means. we use the word English word sympathetic a little bit differently than I think what is intended here. This this word is to suffer with. Pasco it is to suffer with somebody. When you think of sympathy, you think that you ought to feel bad for somebody. Right? That's different from what we say empathy is. I can have shared emotive connection with you because I've experienced something similar. Um that's why there are support groups for people with twins and triplets and quadruplets. Because nobody else understands. And Priscilla and I used to go to one, right, when Stick and Mud were born. Those are the twins. Sattler and Waldorf. We call it, they don't like parties. They don't like birthday cake. They didn't like saying happy birthday. They didn't like any of it. Imagine such a thing. I know where they get it. It's probably their mom. <laughs> probably their mother. No, it's probably me. Um, but this actually is not to—it's ha- not an emotive connection, I- implicitly. Now, I mean, you're an emotive being; you're an emotional being. It's going to be connected, but to suffer with somebody is the idea that you bear up with them, that you engage with their suffering. To share that load. Galatians says, Let each one, or bear one another's burden, excuse me. There's two references there. Let each one bear his little burden, his backpack, but everyone share in the burdens of others, the big ones. Right? It's the idea that you're to suffer with them, really, to distribute the load. Right now, Thaddeus and I are in the middle of framing a project in our backyard, adding an apartment to the garage. And I miscounted. I miscounted the trusses, and so my spacing was off. So then we're building a truss. Because I was trying to figure out the math. Can I skip a truss or not? Yes, you can. Just FYI. You can skip the truss, but the amount of wood you're going to use to do it is more than just building the truss. So that's what we did. Because you need to distribute the load, especially if yours truly is going to be climbing on it and putting the roof on right we don 't have any small myers to send up there this, this is it i 'm the guy so got to distribute the load to bear up under the the load that is placed to suffering. be sympathetic, be brotherly now here at El Paso Bible church we got all sorts of brothers, man we got brothers coming out of our ears we got boys piled on top of boys who are brothers with each other. I need to clarify something with you boys and men. Uh, When it says brotherly, it's talking about brotherly love. Brotherly love, not simply being brotherly. In other words, it doesn't mean wedgies. It doesn't mean wet willies or purple nurples or any of those things that you brothers think or you're obligated to do to your brother. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the brotherly love, the kind of love uh, that Jesus talked about in terms of expressing towards his disciples. It's not about the throat punches and the wrestling matches and all that. To be brotherly, kind-hearted. The idea there is, you know, to be forgiving, long-suffering. It is uh, not to be nice-hearted. You all know the difference, right? We've talked about that at El Paso Bible Church over, over many times, uh, but nice is societal. Nice is contextual. Nice is, is uh, in my opinion, and I think it's valid. Um, nice is just simply being inoffensive to somebody most of the time, Right? You're being nice. You're being nice to people when you tell them um, that whatever it is, massive, aberrant, sinful behavior they're engaged in is okay with you and okay with God. You're being nice. You're being inoffensive. But you're not being kind hearted to them by telling them that. It's a chasm, a massive chasm in almost every society between what is inoffensive and what is kind. Be kind hearted. Remember, this is the local body. It starts here. There may be application to this outside the local body, but if we can't get the screws down tight here on this behavior, then we're not going to be able to extend it anywhere. And humble in spirit. We're watching a Marvel movie, and well, I too am incredibly humble. I think it was Drax said. I too am incredibly humble. If I ask you, are you humble? You're going to give me a prideful answer, probably, and say, "Yes, aren't you?" Yeah, I am. Mean, sure, I'm humble. Maybe you'll maybe if you're a philosopher, you'll back up for a minute. But if I tell you what it means to be humble in spirit, does anybody have a quick, like, six-word definition or one-sentence definition of what humble in spirit means? Agreeable. Agreeable. Well, that might be a little bit of a stretch, Lily. I'm not sure. That could be, I guess. That might go around being kind of on the nice end of things, and you know how I feel about nice. I don't like nice. I like kind. I like loving. I like sacrificial. I like those things. I think the Bible likes those things. I'm not just saying that's my opinion. I think that the Bible teaches that distinction. Um, I don't think, so humble in spirit actually isn't a real common phrase in Scripture, and I actually have to go back to Proverbs to find the phrase, humble in spirit, humble in spirit. And there it's about who you associate with. Isn't that interesting? It has a, a symptom. In other words, you're not supposed to, to sit in a closet somewhere and assign yourself humility of spirit. You're supposed to look around you And look who you hang out with. Proverbs 16, 19 says, It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. The goodies with the proud. You're better off poor in spirit hanging out with people who aren't prideful. So you're not supposed to, like, look around, right, and judge other people's motives and all that. But you can look around and who are you you hanging out with? Are you hanging out with prideful people? Are you hanging out with humble people? If you're hanging out with humble people, you're probably humble in spirit because pride is competition, right? You want to constantly be in competition with people. I think that's That's a reasonable way to assess. I don't know if the Scripture even defines it explicitly, but that is a reasonable way to assess whether you're doing it or not. And uh, I guess we ought to address something because when we go down a list like this, uh, the uh, the New Testament is full of them, right, of things that you ought to do. Think on these things. Do these things. And it's a long list. And, you know, people... They don't, they don't like to be told what their obligations are. I used to get upset, uh, you know, at my parents because they would tell me, Josh, you're, essentially you're obligated to do this. And I would say something like, Mom, I'm not stupid. They never said I was stupid. They never said that. But I objected strongly and deflected when somebody told me what my obligations are. Strongly. Because whenever somebody tells me what my obligations are, I want them to know I know what my obligations are. Back up. And I think a lot of people have that problem. Um, They just don't like it. They don't like the idea. Uh, And the, the even in this society, in our context, sometimes they don't like the idea that there are any obligations. That anything is something you're supposed to do in life. They don't like that. And, uh, and sometimes people are, are guilty when they do this. And I'm not saying any one of you in particular. In other words, I'm not addressing anybody in the room. But it's a general feeling general feeling that we get when we preach passages like this, uh, that when the Bible is commanding us to do a list of things like this, saying this is obligations, that somehow the Bible is commanding us to be hypocrites. Because it's commanding us to do something that we don't really, in our heart of hearts, in our true inner self, want to do. And you have, we, the church, has psychologized something to turn that into hypocrisy. That's not hypocrisy by biblical definition, right? Uh, Psychology over the decades uh, and maybe centuries has taught us um, that we essentially ought to wallow in whatever is our emotion in the moment. I would recommend an alternative (laughs) than wallowing in whatever whim you happen to have at the moment. Um, and, and more than that it'll imply or state directly that if you don't do that then you're engaging hypocrisy because that's not your true self. For the believer, guys, your true self is your identity in Christ. It's your identity in Christ. And when scripture calls something hypocrisy. It is not because they fail. It's actually because they succeed at something. Uh, Hypocrisy, and we don't have time to go through from beginning to end, hypocrisy is when you succeed at doing something good or with the appearance of goodness or something that's beautiful and you surreptitiously have an evil motive behind it. That's why Jesus called the religious leadership of His day, you are whitewashed tombs. They looked nice on the outside, but they had evil, terrible, deceptive motivations behind it. They succeeded at the appearance. They succeeded at even doing some good things, but they had evil motivations. Most of what gets called hypocrisy in the church doesn't fit that definition. Most of what the church gets criticized for doing is actually just failure. It's not about their motives. It's that they tried to do something and they failed at it. I have failed you on occasion. I have not loved you every single moment of every single day the way that I should have. And I would venture to guess that maybe one of you in here hasn't loved me the way you should have. Probably more than that. Probably most of you. I don't walk around calling you a bunch of hypocrites. We anticipate failure when we try to do good and righteous things. To do what is right. To engage in excellent behavior. That is not hypocrisy. That's expected. The command here is to do those things for real. The Bible doesn't command you to do things hypocritically. An for you to do the authentic, the real thing, and when we try to get it to do those things, we will fail, but we also are supposed to continue to be forgiving and kind-hearted and gracious to the one who's failed. And it would be a reasonable expectation that the person who has failed to expect to be treated graciously and kind-hearted and in a forgiving way, because we're all part of the one body. There's a negative sign. To the commands, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You know that. It does not do anybody any good, it's not productive to return insult for insult do evil for evil you ought to be silent if that's the best you can pull off but scripture says to give a blessing recently i had to remove somebody from a fairly large uh, theological discussion group that i've been admitting for eight or nine years now along with another team and i i've never booted anyone that i've regretted ever but afterwards, by instant message, I don't, have has anybody admin one of these things? This is a lesson in sanctification, man. Every four-letter word, every anatomical bathroom reference he could throw at me, he threw at me within seconds. In seconds, In my first inclination, the very first inclination was to rip that little guy and he was I, say, I call him Skippy sometimes but he's 20 years older than me that's the crazy part about this he's not a little little youngster and sometimes i tell you about my failures some people tell you i shouldn't do that as a pastor i'm going to tell you i did succeed in not responding i did not succeed in keeping from thinking it but i did succeed in saying you know what i understand you're behaving like an infant in Christ, and I forgive you. End of story. Blessing. So I'll tell you about 10 more of my failures before we get to another success. Okay, that's the ratio. Offer a blessing, a true blessing. I can say, I forgive you because I did. offer a blessing. The idea is that like Christ, like the apostles, you look forward to the blessing you're going to inherit. And instead of paying that forward, you actually pay it backwards. (laughs) Not returning evil for evil. Now, he quotes Old Testament here. This is uh, from Psalm 34, verse 10, for the one who desires life To love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Now, that life there is not your eternal life. That has a modification on it. And the reference in the Old Testament is to living a long life of many days. Would you all like to do that? Sure. That's normal. It's okay. You don't have to Jesus juke the question. It's not trick. It's not a trick question. It's okay to want to live a long life. That's a blessing to see, Scripture says that it's a blessing to see your children's children. That's a wonderful thing. That's the kind of life we're talking about here. A length of days and good days. And in order to do that, Old Testament and New Testament. So the quality of your temporal life is based on some behavior. Your, your capacity and your likelihood to see good days and to love in those days is, is dependent somewhat on how you interact with people. Staying alive, that's the, the idea here in the, in the Scripture that this is based on. Surviving even, you might say. Don't speak evil, destructive things. Keep your tongue from evil. Don't speak lies. The difference there, right? Destructive things are usually, well, they're destructive, they may be a lie, they may not be. Uh, But when he says don't speak deceitful things, also don't drip honey in people's ears when they don't, when that's not good for them that's also a lie right and in our culture we've been over this and I get this a lot from people not just in church not but in any meeting I've ever been in and almost any personal interaction initially when somebody meets me to be honest they think I'm being malicious to them when I just tell them what I think suck it up people you need to suck it up we need to grow beyond that. I know I can't demand that. I, I, I cannot walk out in the neighborhood and have that expectation. But at least within a local body, right, you can, you can understand that to tell people what you believe Scripture says, what you think, what you understand directly and concisely is simply a matter of life being short and love being real. Both of which are true for me, guys. I'm not 20. I'm not 15 people in my family die in their 50s and 60s and I'm 45 I don't have time to do anything else and I love you so don't speak pleasant or unpleasant lies don't speak destructive things if you want to live and enjoy life and love and see good days you must turn away from evil and do good right? that's not how you get eternal life you get eternal life by grace through faith in Christ alone permanently forever end of story as choice aliens in this world your experience of this life is made longer and better by your obedience to not speak evil and to do good seek peace seek peace does not say find peace Necessarily in all your personal relationships. Other, where in script, other, other places in Scripture it says that you, as much as you are able to be at peace with all men, it's not only on your end to find peace, but to seek peace. We have a saying, it's actually odd, there's an overlap between what we say at the rifle range and in pastoral ministry. Not too many overlaps there, actually, but this one does. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Right? That's true of ministry. If you don't have some kind of goal or objective, you will achieve no goal or objective. We also say this to people who are not very good at bird hunting. You still have to aim the shotgun. It helps you, but you still have to aim it. You still have to put it in the right spot. Seek peace. We need to chase after it. Because verse 12, and and we will end shortly here, not a chapter and a half later. For the eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of Yahweh is against those who do evil. He is attentive to the righteous, meaning that He listens. He listens looks with favor on doing what is right. His eyes and ears are inclined. He's attentive to that, to to people that desire peace for doing what is right. There's a good guarantee that if we seek peace, if we pursue it, we will find it. And if we don't, we won't. If you don't aim for peace, seek it, pursue it, you probably won't find it. In your temporal life, in your temporal relationships, If you read commentaries about this phrase, they often call it an anthropomorphism. You know what anthropomorphism is? It's like when you say to your cute little puppy dog, he put out his hand. He didn't. He doesn't have hands. Right? That's an anthropomorphism. You're attributing a human attribute to the puppy dog. Emily, you look like you've never done that for a puppy dog. You okay back there? Okay, all right. People are saying that that's attributing to God a human behavior. Here's the funny thing. If you go look up, set his face against, it never applies to a human relationship. It never applies to a human setting his face against another human. It's always God setting his face against a member of the covenant community in the Old Testament. And the result of it, the result of it is alienation from his community. Over and over and over, Leviticus, all the way through Ezekiel. I think the first references are in Leviticus, the last ones are in Ezekiel. We have two Ezekiels here today. They don't often get referenced uh, in, in church. Lots of Johns and Marks. And we've never had anybody named Romans, though. So, Ezekiel, you're ahead of them, Ezekiels. Nobody came in here named Romans. It's always against a member of the covenant community. Leviticus 23, 20, verse 3, excuse me. I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given some of his offspring to Molech so as to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. And the last reverence I could find is Ezekiel fourteen, eight. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. <clears throat> Guys, You do not want to have a book of Proverbs written about your life. That's the consequence. I will cut them off among my people so that you will know that I am the Lord. It's it's always a temporal judgment. It's always a temporal discipline. It's always putting out of the community. Always. And you need to distinguish that between putting somebody into hell unless you are of a different theological persuasion, such as maybe Roman Catholic. Roman Catholics teach this a nature of anathematizing, somebody that putting them outside the camp is sending them to hell. Stop it. That is nowhere in any context. Nowhere, New Testament or Old Testament, put such a one outside for the salvation of his life. Put him under Discipline. You have to insert that theologically into any context, and it's done a lot. But it is serious, especially in this context. It was dangerous to be bereft of the community of the church, to be a baptized believer without the fellowship and protection, without sharing the load of suffering, without being sympathetic See, y'all could get mad at me, and there's a church literally down the block, both ways. You can walk there from here. I'm kind of surprised some of y'all haven't gotten up and gone after the past couple of weeks. You know, obey your husbands, and husbands suck it up. And understand where you are. These are not things that are stated plainly in Scripture. It's not, you don't understand the danger yet. There may come a day when you are able to understand it. But the result of God setting His face against someone is to be alienated. Alienated from a body of believers. In the Old Testament, the community of Israel. In the New Testament, Peter seems to be indicating that you'll be alienated from the church. I won't go into specifics, but uh, that has happened in every church I've been a part of. People who refused to seek peace, refused to live in harmony, made themselves unwelcome and weren't there anymore, alienated. We did not declare it. We didn't get on the red phone to God and say, hey, God, we got a real troublemaker here. Can you do something about that? but it did alienate them. Failing to seek peace has consequences because it is a choice. It is a choice. People who are born again, people who have these blessings of the inheritance that God has provided, you have a choice to seek peace and pursue peace with other people. You have a choice to live in harmony with other people in the local body of believers. And it is an obligation that we have to choose it, to live in harmony, because of our identity in Christ. This morning, we're remembering what makes that possible, and that is the the death of Christ as a substitution for us in our place. And uh, we remember it monthly. We actually remember it more than that. We remember it this way monthly in remembrance of Him. Appreciation for all of the good things it provides for us, the blessings, the obligations, and the future of life. It is about remembrance. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I would ask you to participate with us as we remember it and we proclaim his death until he comes. So what I'll do is give us a few minutes, a few moments, and then I'll ask the men to come forward and we'll proceed. men if you would come forward So He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
1: If you don't stand with us, we'll dismiss
2: with a song. And so with thankfulness and faith.
1: Have a great Sunday.